Big thanks to everyone who has written to me with, frankly, a lot of empathy for all of the computer issues that I used to have. Yes, past tense, used to have. And also, yes, to answer your question, Clean My Mac really did work to clean out the junk on my computer. So if you're frustrated with a slow-moving computer, there's a good chance Clean My Mac can help you too. If you want to check it out and also get 10% off and also support this podcast while you're at it, please go to bobbyrebell.com forward slash clean my Mac. And I promise you're going to love it. It will make you feel so much less stressed when you turn on that computer because it's going to work so much better. That is bobbyrebell.com forward slash clean my Mac and be in touch. Let me know how it goes. You deserve to lower the stress of data overload. It was totally worth it. I hope you like it too. He was very honest. He was like, yeah, I was conflicted too, because I completely understand why you would want to do that. I agree with you, but I didn't have that available. And so it wasn't an apology because he didn't do anything wrong, but he certainly understood where I was coming from. And um, it was one of the best financial decisions we ever made. You're listening to Money Tips for Financial Grownups with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel author of Launching Financial Grownups, because you know what? Grown-up life is really hard, but together, we got this. Putting a trusted friend or family member in charge of your investing actually sounds like a simple, accessible way to get your act together and really be a financial grown-up when it comes to investing, because you're getting it done. So is signing up for your company's 401k plan and choosing investments that your employer picked out. You would assume they're going to offer ones that are in your best interest, just like that friend or family member who is managing your money would always put you first, right? Not so fast and not so good for getting the best bottom line return. So we're going to talk about that and hear some stories that will shock you. My guests today are Julian and Kirsten Saunders. Their new book is called Cashing Out, Win the Wealth Game by Walking Away. Now, when I first met them, Julian had just recently left his job as a chef to build what has become a multimedia platform, generally under the name Rich and Regular. Kirsten was still in her nine to five. She has now left that because there's so much going on. Now their Rich and Regular blog is also a podcast. They have a fantastic YouTube series called Money on the Table. And of course, the book Cashing Out. And by the way, more to come, but we'll get to that. So the book Cashing Out has a lot of money tips for financial grownups. I encourage everyone to pick up a copy. One thing I wanted to hone in on in the book and really focus on for the purposes of this podcast and have them expand on things you're not going to read in the book are the not so obvious costs of investing. And the reason is, as I read through cashing out, I couldn't believe the mistakes that they made because they were things that trust me, we all could and many of us have done because they're not really mistakes. They're just not knowing what to look for, right? Because nobody is going to tell you don't trust the family friend. And in fact, by the way, a little spoiler alert, the family friend wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong. In fact, well, I'm just going to leave it there. We'll call that the teaser, okay? On the other side of the interview, I'm going to share more about why these stories hit me so hard. I'll share a little bit of my own experiences, but first, I want you to hear from them. 
And by the way, at the top of the interview, I also get some very real candor about what it's like to work from home together on a family business and as parents. And one key bit of advice that they gave that I think will help all of us that even if it's not all the time, that sometimes have to work from home with family members, and those members do include children. Here are Julian and Kirsten Saunders. Julian and Kirsten Saunders, you are financial grownups. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Congratulations. You guys are officially authors and bestsellers. You are the brains behind Cashing Out, Win the Wealth Game by Walking Away. You're also obviously the creators of the Rich and Regular brand, which is a blog and a podcast. And you also have a YouTube series that's very successful. Your business is is the two of you together. I mean, how has yeah. that impacted your finances when you have to make business decisions? We've kind of learned over the years through trial and error, <laughs> and we actually started with projects that weren't monetizable to begin with to learn each other's kind of work together styles. So we started with you know home renovations and planning for a baby and arranging the marriage, not arranging marriage, but like <laughs> planning the marriage and then planning the honeymoon. So there were all these smaller projects that happened before we decided to create this you know family owned business. But I think my advice would be just to approach every project, every conflict with curiosity and not so much judgment. It's very easy to tie in the conflict you experience in business decisions to like be this indictment on your relationship or your love for each other when really it's just, it's a separate thing. In the book, we talk about how much larger homes have gotten over the years. And while it's still enough, not enough because people are just using sort of external storage. Well, the reality is like we bought a larger home with this dynamic in mind. So yeah. she works upstairs. I work downstairs. <laughs> we meet in the middle for lunch, right? So we and technically, dinner. yeah, dinner, you know, but we technically don't see each other. So it's not as if we are in the same room on top yeah. of each other every single day. So space without question helps. Let's get into cashing out. So one area of the book that I really was drawn to was your reminder. And, and a lot of the book, by the way, I should say, is things that we should know, but we don't really know, is your reminder that mm-hmm. investing is not just about the returns that you see on the surface. There's a lot more that goes into it, a lot of hidden costs that are right in front of you, but we aren't necessarily aware of in a cognizant way. So I'd love for each of you share a story in the book, and I want you to kind of give us a quick version of it, of your experience, how you became aware of these hidden costs of investing. And then we'll talk about what people can do about it. So Julian, you had a family friend, a trusted person who is a good person, we want to point out, who was managing your money and helping you with investments as you were coming up as a young adult, becoming a financial grown-up. Tell us about that relationship and the revelation that changed it. Yeah. I mean, he's a big brother. He's still a dear friend, family friend of mine, his wife. like we, We know each other very well. But as I started to learn more about investing and I became a little bit more empowered, uh, we would have these, it almost felt like a biannual meeting or something like that, where I'd go to his office, he'd have all his fancy screens. And in previous years, I would be totally intimidated. He would talk circles around me and I just had no idea. But I sort of accepted that challenge and said, you know what, the next year or the next time I go in there, I want to know what I'm talking about. And I did my research and I was drawn to index fund investing. And so when I went into the next meeting, I offered my recommendations and said, actually, here's what I'm thinking. Like this, it's my money. And so here's what I would like to do with like at least half of it so that we can see what happens, right? Let's see what the return looks like. 
And it was like very awkward <laughs> because <laughs> in that moment, I realized uh, that what I'd also learned was really true. And it was kind of staring me in the face, which was that as a financial advisor, as someone who earns his income through commissions, it really was not in his interest or in his company's interest to make those kinds of decisions. In fact, they didn't even offer those types of funds. And that was very eye-opening for me. And so I had uh, come to a really interesting point where I had to decide if I believe the evidence that it put before me, which is the importance of keeping your costs low and the impact that that would have on our investment portfolio, there was what I understood to be true, but then it was also the nature of this relationship. And I, I, you know, obviously part of the reason why I invested with him is because I knew him. He was a family friend. I went to his wedding. He was at my wedding. And so there was a relationship there, but it was also at conflict with our financial interests and our strategy. Uh, and so we decided to uh, self-manage. We decided to step away from that. And years later, we finally had a conversation about it and he was very honest. He was like, yeah, I was conflicted too because I completely understand why you would want to do that. I agree with you, but I didn't have that available. And so it wasn't an apology because he didn't do anything wrong, but he certainly understood where I was coming from. And um, it was one of the best financial decisions we ever made. Let me ask you though, during that time, did you ever ask him and maybe you were coming up because as a family friend, it could be very awkward. Did you ever ask him, wait, how do you get paid? Was that ever part of the conversation? And were you paying him anything? Was he making money from you and from commissions? What awareness did you have at the time? Because you also realized he was a financial advisor, not a fiduciary. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I, I never, we never got into that conversation, but- um, I'm sorry, you never who, asked him how he was paid. Yeah. Okay. So we never got into the conversation about how he earned money. And th that to me still felt a little awkward. I was kind of safe with my assumptions because, again, part of what I'd learned was that he was paid through commission and he had a base salary and all of those things. I also started to learn that in certain cases, if he uh, was able to sort of offload certain funds into my portfolio or any of his other clients, he might get a premium. And so the combination of what I was experiencing, plus where I was in my personal career and as someone who was getting really heavily involved with real estate investing. And so I know what it feels like to cut a $10,000 or $20,000 check with someone. You start paying attention to the costs of things. And what was odd to me was that I'm in this relationship with a financial advisor who has a lot of control and influence over my financial destiny. And I have very, I mean, practically zero insight into how he gets paid. It's not like I get an itemized you know, right. report like I get from a management company for real estate or like anything else in life. And so it just felt odd to me and, and, and dare I say suspicious, but also legal. And that the whole thing <laughs> just felt very odd to me, which is what led me to learning about the differences between a financial advisor and a fiduciary. And so he was right. And again, in line with following the standards that he is supposed to follow, which is the suitability standard. He made financial recommendations that were suitable. I wanted to make more money. These are a, a, a set of options that presumably can grow. And yes, you will have more money, but that doesn't mean that that's the only way or the best way, or certainly the most cost efficient way. And that's what I was particularly interested in because I started to learn the impact that costs have on our long-term investments. So a fiduciary uh, is different in the sense that they follow a fiduciary standard, meaning they are legally required to make recommendations that are in your best interest. And I think that goes back to the sense of 
conflict that my financial advisor felt and also uh, what I felt at the time. And so I felt very comfortable that if I were to use a financial advisor, I 100% would have a preference for using one who followed what I felt to be a better or stronger standard. Right. And Kirsten, you had a similar ending with a very different experience where you also realized kind of after the fact, but never too late, that there were costs you weren't necessarily as aware of as you should be. Even though they weren't proactively hidden from you, you weren't necessarily presented those costs in a way that you took action immediately. It took a while to come around. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, to put this in context, was a late bloomer. (laughs) I worked for 10 years before I contributed to a 401k. And so when I finally did, after paying down all of this debt and kind of being intentional about learning more about investing and financial literacy, when I finally did, I logged into my company's 401k. And this was like over a decade ago. So I don't know if they're still set up like this, but I was met with all of these prompts about and calculators about like how I wanted to invest. And they were all lifestyle questions. They weren't really mathematical. It was kind of like, do you want to go aggressive? What kind of retirement do you want? How much do you want to spend when you're no longer working? And so, of course, I put in the biggest, most aspirational numbers ever. It's like, yeah, I want a yacht. Like, (laughs) get me on the aggressive path. But what I didn't know was that I was opting into a bunch of actively managed mutual funds that came with fees, which we now refer to as the four letter F word, but like they were these fees that I did not know to look for. I didn't know what real returns were. I was just looking at, you know, the promised returns of 20%, 18% or the average returns historically. And that's what I was sold on. I never did any additional research. And so as Julie and I were talking and as he was showing me all of these boring, (laughs) candidly documentaries on retirement and index funds, I realized like, oh, okay, that makes sense to me. That must be what I'm invested in. And when I went to go look, I was like, actually, that's not what I'm invested in at all. I'm paying four to 10 times as much as what I could be paying if I just you know, opted into this simpler form. And so, yeah, I changed it. Thankfully, I, I knew how, and it was, it was hard to, to convince myself that I knew how, but I did. And then I've been an index fund investor ever since. One of the favorite lines that I read in your book was, how much is an educated guess worth? Tell us about that line. Worth to you, I should say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the reason why we were, well, we wrote that line with that relationship dynamic in mind. And so going back to our financial advisor, uh, the reality is like, even after like fees aside, right, we, we learned uh, and understood how these hidden fees, which I kind of think of as like the high fructose <laughs> corn syrup that's sort of like in our 401ks. Um, but we were very clear on, on on the fee part. What we also kind of made it worse or even more kind of despicable, if you will, was that like they got that commission, they got paid regardless of the outcome. Like it didn't really matter if they did well or if the market did well or underperformed. And when we started doing some research, we found that the vast majority of actively managed funds with the uh, primary objective of beating the market actually failed to do so. And so the notion that I would be willing to part ways with arguably a third of my earnings over a 30 or 40 year period and it would still fail to achieve its stated objective versus having the option to simply invest using index funds 
have really clear understanding of how much it's going to cost me, which is literally pennies compared to uh, actively managed funds. Just kind of felt like a no brainer to me. I can't let you go before I ask you for what is really my favorite part of the book. At the end, you have an index of these incredible, quick, and I want to say easy to understand. Nothing's really easy, let's be honest, when it comes to money, but easy savings tips everyone can do. Um, Kirsten, you're up first. (laughs) All right. My favorite savings tip is to make sure that you don't forget about income. Focus as much on growing your income as you are on savings. And typically when I say income, people hear wages or salary. So they think, okay, I got to get a second job or I got to get promoted at this job. I just got to get more out of my job. But what I'm saying is income, which is a more broad and kind of endless opportunity. And regardless of what you do for a living, many of us get additional income throughout the year, whether it's a birthday gift or a tax refund or a, a rebate from a purchase that you made, that counts as income. So apply the same aggressive savings goals apply the same discipline towards that income, towards that money, as you would your paycheck. I love that. All right, Julian. Yeah, my favorite tip would have to be courage, just the importance of courage and especially the the importance of having the courage to pay yourself first. I think as entrepreneurs, that's especially important because you're always sort of wondering when the next deal or big thing is going to come, but you have to remember to pay yourself and you have to trust that you've done all the right things and that more business is coming in. But even for W-2 employees, I think it's important. And even now, uh, especially after learning that uh, the IRS has increased 401k contributions, like you owe it to yourself to invest a little bit more and to trust that you'll figure out other ways if it leads to a little less net income. You'll figure out a way to make those adjustments. I know that your book, Cashing Out, is available everywhere. What else can people be doing to be in touch with you? Um, your YouTube channel, plug away, guys. Yeah, so you can find us at richandregular.com. And then we are also active on all of the social medias, uh, Instagram, I almost said TikTok, <laughs> Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, YouTube, all under Rich and Regular. Oh, and Facebook. And Facebook, everything. <laughs> Thank you so much. And everyone check out Cashing Out. Thank you. Thank you. It is holiday time, my friends, and finding just the right gift can be hard and expensive. Consider giving the gift of getting better with money. My latest book, Launching Financial Grownups, makes a great present for parents of almost adults, grandparents of almost adults, and frankly, any adult that cares about the young people in their life. And also, it's a simple and easy gift for clients. If you're looking for something a little more creative, check out the merch at grownupgear.com. Use the code GROWNUP for 15% off your first purchase. And thank you for supporting this podcast. After I hit stop record on our interview, my mind was racing. And I wonder if you had the same thoughts. So for example, with Julian, the dear friend who was his financial advisor. So interesting, he was able to maintain that friendship because the man was honest. He never hid anything. He just didn't tell Julian until it was asked that he could only sell products that were in the best interest of his firm and were also suitable for Julian. He wasn't a fiduciary. The truth is, if Julian's goal was simply to make money, even putting money in something as simple as a money market account, would have been suitable. So my money tip on that, besides making sure to ask how your advisor gets paid and to really prioritize working with a fiduciary, 
is to be specific about your goals. Yes, you can think that when it comes to money, more is more, true, but there are levels of more and risks involved. As for Kirsten, this is a big heads up, by the way, for parents whose almost adult children are early in their careers and hopefully not waiting a decade to choose investments for a 401k. For the most part, human resources departments at best are going to be pointing new employees to where they can sign up for a 401k plan. And by the way, other things like health insurance. We can't expect them to, number one, nudge those new employees to actually put money into it. Kirsten waited a very precious decade. And two, the HR department is not probably giving any insights as to the costs of different funds or investing options that the new employees are choosing in their 401k. In my case, for example, my oldest, Ashley, opened her 401k And in this case, she almost put her money in a bond fund just because of a misleading name. It's really confusing. So be vigilant and ideally get a second pair of eyes on your investing choices just to make sure they are what you want them to be. We're all gonna make mistakes, but let's at least purposefully choose the investments we want. You listen to this on audio, but we are experimenting with video and I'm starting to put out clips on social media. So please, I need your feedback, guys. Follow me, give me some thoughts on how it's going, what you think is working, what maybe is not so good. On Instagram, I'm at bobbyrebel1, that's the number one. On TikTok, just bobbyrebel. Same thing on Twitter, at bobbyrebel. I am also making some changes to my newsletter and I wanna make it even more value add for financial grownups. So if you are not already signed up, we'll have a link in the show notes and also on the bobbyrebell.com website. I share articles and videos for financial grownups, upcoming appearances, new merchandise from grownup gear and highlights from this podcast. I would love to hear from you about how I can give you the best financial grownup money tips and really add value to your lives. On that note, Big thanks to Julian and Kirsten Saunders for helping us all be financial grownups. Money Tips for Financial Grownups is a production of BRK Media, LLC. Editing and production by Steve Stewart. Guest coordination, content creation, social media support, and show notes by Ashley Wall. You can find the podcast show notes, which include links to resources mentioned in the show, as well as show transcripts, by going to my website, bobbyrebell.com. You can also find an incredible library of hundreds of previous episodes to help you on your journey as a financial grown-up. The podcast and tons of complimentary resources associated with the podcast is brought to you for free, but I need to have your support in return. Here's how you can do that. First, connect with me on social media at BobbyRebel1 on Instagram and BobbyRebel on both Twitter and on Clubhouse, where you can join my Money Tips for Grownups Club. Second, share this podcast on social media and tag me so I can thank you. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Reading each one means the world to me. And you know what? It really motivates others to subscribe. You can also support our merch shop, grownupgear.com, by picking up fun gifts for your grown-up friends and treating yourself as well. And most of all, help your friends on their journey to being financial grown-ups by encouraging them to subscribe to the podcast. Together, we got this. 
Thank you for your time and for the kind words so many of you send my way. See you next time. And thank you for supporting Money Tips for Financial Grownups.